Great news about Patrick. And uh, just, I think we've got to just continually give thanks to God for what he's doing in the area of healing. And uh, God does it, as Patrick said, both through doctors and through a direct touch from him. But ultimately, all healing comes from God. And we can celebrate that as we prayed and we've trusted God for those things. Absolutely wonderful. If you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, it would be good. 2 Kings chapter 6. As we continue speaking about faith, Two Kings chapter six verse eight. We're going to read from. This is a this is a wonderful wonderful story. I've been over the last few weeks. I've been really captivated by the stories of Elisha. Elisha is the prophet in the Old Testament that was Elijah's successor. Successor, and uh, he he from Two Kings chapter two, for a number of chapters we see him. Uh, living out this life of naturally supernatural, hearing God, obeying, and God doing amazing, amazing things. And uh, in many respects, it is a, it's a type of Jesus. And because it's a type of Jesus, these things become accessible to us because in Christ we, we, we can do these things. And uh, the, what I want to talk about this morning is seeing with eyes of faith. Seeing with eyes of faith. And uh, this is a story of some people that saw with eyes of faith and others that didn't, and the differences between them, and we can kind of draw some things out of that and some lessons around that. But this is a moment, this is a day in history, this is a time in this nation where you have to see with eyes of faith. If you don't, you're going to be in the dark because there's no lights. But you've got to see with eyes of faith. But, uh, and, and really, because God is busy doing something, and the ability for us to have hope and us to be able to move forward in God is to be able to see what He's doing. And if we can see what He's doing, it changes everything. It brings hope and it brings life. I was so encouraged by the song selection this morning and uh, so apt in terms of what I have to say this morning. Let's have a look. 2 chapters, chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such, a such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. The man of God is Elisha. He hasn't got a great relationship with the king of Israel, but he's helping him anyway. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going to be down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place and indicated by the man of God, Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which one of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He's convinced they've got a, they've got a mole. That's letting the Israelites know exactly where they are and so avoiding these, these, these ambushes. Verse 12. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan, which is about 14 k's away 
from where they were, or from, from Israel, from Samaria. Then he sent horses and chariots. Notice he sent horses and chariots. Horses and chariots were the military, that was the most powerful thing. If you were an army with horses and chariots, you won. If you were fighting uh, um, soldiers on foot, they were done. Horses and chariots were the military standard that was a, of, a, of a very powerful conquering army. He sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, so not just horses and chariots, lots of them. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, who is Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Servant, his name is Gehazi. You'll hear a little bit later on. He gets up in the morning and he goes, Oh, my gosh, the whole city is surrounded by horses and chariots and soldiers. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Friends, if we, if, we want, if we want to know what God's doing, the prophetic resonance within us has got to be open to, to hearing from God. And another story around the Elisha, a little, bit further, a little bit further back, it talks about a lady who, who didn't have a son. And, uh, because, and it says she, her husband was old. And the great cry of her heart was for a, for, a, for a child. And it looks like in the story she owned a, she owned a tavern or, a, or a something where people would come to, to eat. And they noticed that this man, Elisha, it says he, they saw that he was a holy man. He was a godly man. And he, she said to her husband, why don't we put a room up in our, above our house, set up a room so that whenever he comes, he can go there and we can stay there. You see, they want, the, they want God's voice in their home. And they said, actually, and, and she said, and it says very clearly in the text, it says, and, she, and they built this house, and they put a bed in there, they put a table in there, they put a lamp in there, and they put a chair, and they put a light and a chair there. They put a bed there, they put a table there, they put a chair there, and they put a lamp there. Those four things. And, and, it, and then it goes on, and when you read the story, it says, and when, when uh, Elijah was in his room, it's like he completely owned that thing, that was his. And then he would say to her, what do you need? What do you need? Tell me what you need. And it comes out that actually she wanted a child. And he says, from this, in a year's time, you'll be holding a baby. You'll be holding a child. The child gets born. You see, when the prophetic, the voice of God comes to us, we move from barrenness to fruitfulness. And then a little bit later on, it goes on in the story, and it says, this, what happens to this child? He dies. And so what they do is they take this dead child and they take it up to the room of Elijah and they put it on the bed of Elijah and they, and they go and call him and he comes back to them and he lies on the child and this child comes back to life. You see, when the voice of God and the prophetic voice of God is on us, not only do you move from barrenness to fruitfulness, but you move from death to life. But you need four things. You need a bed, you need a table, you need a chair, and you need a lamp. You need a best bed because actually the voice of God comes to you when you're at rest. The voice of God doesn't come to you when you're panicking and you're busy and you, there's no, God's not first in your life. It comes to you when you're at rest. The voice of God comes to you when you're sitting around a table at community. 
The voice of God comes to you when people are with you on the journey and speaking to you as Patrick and Shannon have felt over this season. You see, the voice of God comes to you when you have a chair in your room, when you know your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ, and the authority that you have in Him, the voice of God can come to you. In fact, it's when you have identity and authority that you can rest in your bed or at the table with others. And then fourthly, you've got to have a lamp. You've got to be living by revelation. You've got to be living by the light of God. You've got to be living by the voice of God. You've got to be interested in what God has to say in your context for your life, for the season that you're in. If when you have those four things, friends, the prophetic comes to dwell with you, the voice of God comes to dwell with you, and you move from barrenness to fruitfulness and death to life. Effortlessly. This was a moment where the prophetic voice of God, don't be afraid, the prophet answers, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You see, he lived with those four things. That's how Elisha lived. And so he was in the moment, don't go fast for five days. He was able to, in the moment, know what God's saying. He walked with God. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. They are more with us than what they are with him, with them. And Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes so that he might see. And that is my prayer for us this morning. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we might see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. It wasn't just horses and chariots. It was horses and chariots of fire. You see, friend, actually the reality is this. The forces of God, the working of God, is more numerous and more powerful than what's around us. They weren't just horses and chariots. They were numerous. There are more of them, and they were chariots of fire, not just chariots. Or uh, uh, the horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. He led them to their enemies, Israel. So they come in, Elijah, in the moment. He says, Lord, make them blind. Obviously, it's not complete blindness. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to follow him. But there's, this con there's, the, there's a fuzziness. There's something there that God does with their sight that they can't identify Elisha, and they listen to Elisha and say, come with us, I'll tell you, I'll take you down the right road. After, he after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Imagine that. So now they get into this place, they're all confused, they can hardly see, and then once they're in the midst of the enemy, in the midst of Israel, he says, open their eyes, and boom, it comes clear. Oh my gosh. We went to surround them, actually we we're surrounded by them. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Implying you didn't capture them. You wouldn't kill them if you captured them with your army, and, and you didn't, so don't kill them this time. Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. Very counterintuitive. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. He prepared a great 
feast for them. Prepared a great feast for their enemies. And when they had finished eating, they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Amazing, eh? Let's have a look here at some things out of this text. The first thing is this. Faith, friends, is never an, a, 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 an imagining of unreal things. Faith is not imagining, kind of trying to believe things that are not real. Faith is a belief in what is absolutely real and true. And those things are real and true whether you perceive them or not. This is what the, this is what the, the servant teaches us. He didn't have faith. He couldn't have faith because what he saw was overwhelming compared to what he didn't see. And so he didn't see what was actually around him and so got overwhelmed by the, by the challenge in front of him. Those horses and chariots were always there, were there. He just had to see them. And friends, one of my, one of my worries around all of our lives, we are so busy and we're so fearful and we're so going for it and we're so... Uh, that we actually don't stop to see what is around us in God, ready to fight on our behalf. What we see from this quick story is that true power belongs not with kings, but the one who, whom God is serving, who, who is serving God. True power does not belong to kings. True power belongs to those that serve God. Those Arameans denied God and walked into the trap. They thought they were powerful. The reason why they advanced on them is because they were militarily strong. As I read of a wonderful story of Winston Churchill. At the Yalta Conference in 1945, when Winston Churchill asked Stalin to respect the religious freedom in Eastern Europe and, asked, and he asked this, what would, this, would the Pope say about, his, about your dictates, about what you're trying to do here? Churchill goes to him, 1945, after the war, Second World War. Goes to Stalin, he says, hey, listen here. Please, you've got to give religious freedom here. What would the Pope say? Stalin said this very dismissively. How many divisions does the Pope have? In our context... How many divisions does the man of God have? Don't tell me about that. I've got divisions. What has he got? Decades later, the Soviet empires collapsed without a shot being fired. This is the power that is available to us who believe. Even though kings might have authority at some level, it is an earthly authority. It is not a heavenly authority with incredible supernatural power. And we've got to believe our God has that for us. Friends, what we can learn from the story are a few things. God's reality is different to our reality. And we need eyes of faith to see God's reality. If we don't see with eyes of faith, we'll be overwhelmed with what's around us. First thing I want to, I want to say to us what we can learn is the spiritually blind are easily deceived. This day, uh, uh, Elisha says to them, be blind, Lord, make them blind. 
And then what happens is the next thing is a deception to take them into the, into the enemy's camp. Those that are spiritually blind are easily deceived, friends. And we are, we are those that are, have been given under Christ an ability to see and to hear what God is doing so that we are not blind, but actually can step into what, he has do, what he's doing and not be fearful with that around us. Those that are spiritually blind will be easily deceived. Let that not be us. Number two, we get fearful when we can't see what God's doing. Gehazi sees what one would expect, and he behaves like one would expect when you're surrounded by an armed force of chariots and horses. But Elisha is unfazed because he can see what God's doing. We get fearful when we can't see what God's doing. Friends, one of the greatest urges and needs of our day is for the church to know what God is doing. That's why the, the, the emergence of the prophetic voice of God through the gifts of the prophets of God is so urgently needed in this day. And friends, we all have an ability here, God, and we all have some measure of prophetic gifting. Even encouraging is your first step towards being prophetic. But there are some people that carry the gift of a prophet that actually are able to see what God's doing in the heavenly realm so that we can live on the earthly realm appropriately. And if we can't see that, friends, we're going to get fearful. Friends, do not be fearful in this nation. And I say this to you because I am in and out of that myself. I'm in and out of that myself. Uh, at moments, I think, no, God, I can see it. And there's other moments when all the politics and all the corruption and all that's going on and all the stupidity and all the just ridiculous thinking just pervades the, the, the increase of racism that is in this nation. Is, I don't think this nation is ever being as racist as it, is, as it is now. And you think, Lord, how is it? And I just see we've got a neighbor that's left for overseas. And friends, it's not the, the leaving to go overseas is not restricted to white people. In fact, they say there's more black people leaving than white people leaving, people of color. Then this is, it's because people have got no hope. And friends, if we do not see, if God's called us to be in this nation, we daren't go anywhere. But if God's called us to be in this nation, we better be understand what God's doing and part, begin to partner with Him and begin to play our part in that because otherwise, friends, we are going to get incredibly fearful. And if we're fearful, friends, we are useless to God. Number three. When we have faith in our own numbers and our own strength, we can miss what God is doing. If you have faith in your own trust account and your own ability to do business, and your own cleverness and your own strength, you'll miss what God's doing. That's what these Arameans did. That's why they came there. They were so confident in themselves, they didn't see what God was doing. Friends, this is a moment in God to be all in with Jesus. This is a moment in God to put all our strength, to put all our apples into one basket. And that's the basket of the kingdom of heaven with Jesus as our king and with our creator God that is orchestrating affairs. It's, who's, 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 the, who's the God of 
of political regimes and movements and knows what's going on. Friends, if we can begin to live our lives like that, we will not miss what God is doing. In fact, we will add and play our part in what he's doing. Because as Patrick so wonderfully says, God gives us jobs to do. When there's sick people, they need doctors. God gives us jobs to do. Number four. Our prayer should always be to ask God and to see what God is doing, not to be removed from the situation. It's amazing how Elisha's prayer, Elisha didn't say, but get, get out of here quickly, they're coming. He said, listen, stay where you are, just watch what God's doing. Friends, the solution often to what's going on in our lives is not to be displaced and not to be removed from the situation, but actually to ask God what he's doing. And then to say, make them blind, Lord. Because God gives you strategy. God gives you wisdom in the midst of that. But what happens is we get so consumed with trying to get out of there that we miss what God's doing. Friends, I want to read a text at the end of this what I, that I hope is going to put such courage into you that you can live this life like Elisha lived and not be like the enemies of God and even not be like this, his servant, but actually be like Elisha in this context. Number five. When we see with eyes of faith, we pray with wisdom and confidence. The reason why Elisha was able to say, be blind now, follow me, I'll take you where to, to, to the people you're looking for, is that he saw with eyes of faith. So his prayer life was not only confident in God and bold in God, but he had wisdom to know what to pray. But you can only know with wisdom what to pray if, you have, if, you can, if you've got eyes of faith. If you've got eyes of fear, you will always be trying to get out of the situation and you'll never be open. You're not on the bed resting. You're not on the chair seated in authority. You're out there doing stuff, trying to do, trying to make a plan. I have a friend of mine that has lived his whole life because he's a very gifted man, a very talented man, and lived his, lived, lived his whole life making a plan. And he's in a situation now where all the plans are done. There's no plans. And either God comes through or he's done. I want to suggest that he's way not done. In fact, I think it's just the beginning. Because when we're done, God starts. And friends, we've got to, we've got to be able to rest in the midst of our bed and sit at the table with friends, laugh and joke, be rebuked, be corrected, be encouraged, be all those things. That's what happens at the table. And seated in authority and live by the voice of God with eyes of faith, with the lamp of God. Number six. When we don't see with what God is doing, we tend to think we're on our own. When we don't see what God is doing, we tend to think we're always on our own. Elisha's, Gehazi, the servant, is panicking because they think he, they're not on their own. And we get like that, friends. When we can't see what God's doing, 
It feels like we're the only person that's ever going through anything, and nobody, it feels like we're completely alone, completely isolated. But when we have eyes of faith, we begin to see that actually it's, we're not alone. There's many people that are in the same situation. We're not the only person that's ever faced this. And, and, and actually, you know what? There's many people that have faced this and triumphed and overcome, and they can encourage you and be with you and tell you that actually it's going to be okay and hold your whole arms up so that you can get through it. Eyes of faith. When we don't have eyes of faith, somehow we always feel isolated. Number seven. When we see with eyes of faith, we realize how quickly things can change. And the difficulty with this is that we kind of always live on this brinkmanship and God's about to do something. God's about to do something new. And then what happens is the hope deferred makes the heart sick the bible says so you kind of get sick but friends when you've got eyes of faith i'm talking about faith you can hear what god's saying you can see what god's doing you realize in a moment this thing can change it's one phone call away it's one meeting away it's one moment away it's one coffee away it's one encounter away from things being completely different so it puts hope in us, puts strength in us, that you would have eyes of faith. Number eight. When we see with eyes of faith, this is very important, when we see with eyes of faith, our victory is often counterintuitive. Let me say that again. When we see with eyes of faith, our way to victory is often counterintuitive. It's not the way we think it is. It's not the way we think it's going to go. It needs you to hear God and be maybe a little bit different. It doesn't mean you try to be different for the sake of being different and try and be clever. It means you just listen to God and maybe left, it's, you, everybody thinks left, but actually it is right. We see this here. You think the way to victory is take them into Israel and slaughter them. Then you, I promise you then you're going to have no worries about raids again, because they did. But the way to victory was let them eat. You see, the way to victory was kindness, not violence. I wonder, in this nation, kindness. It's counterintuitive. Because it goes on and it says they let them go back to their master and they stopped raiding them from there on in. With eyes of faith, friends, our way to victory is often counterintuitive. Eyes of faith overcome by kindness, not violence. Eyes of faith, if, you're not, if you have not got eyes of faith, you can never be kind to somebody that's attacking you. Your first response is retaliation is hit, hit harder than they hit you because then you'll win. Hit harder, not be kind. We've got eyes of faith. It leads us to victory through the kindness of God. Amazing, hey? But only if you've got eyes of faith. Lastly, 
What we see makes a big difference to the decisions that we make. It's kind of a bit obvious. What we see, friends, makes a huge decision, the difference to the decisions that we make. Are we going to fight? Are we going to hold? Are we going to stay? Are we going to go? How are we going to do things? Why are we going to do things? What are we going to do things? If you're seeing what God's doing, friends, if you're seeing that there are chariots of fire that are more numerous around you than what there is facing you, you begin to make decisions with boldness and confidence and step out in faith rather than step backwards in fear and, sh- and shrink back into nothing. Friends, it affects the decisions that we make. That's why this is so easy and so, I mean, so key. It's not easy. It's so key to the way we're going to go forward. This is what Romans chapter 8, and I say this, I end with this. This is what Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39 says. If you want to go there, you can. But I'm just going to read. Just Actually, don't go there. Just listen to this. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Open your eyes and see what surrounds you is more numerous than what faces you. It's more numerous and more powerful than what faces you. Same phrase, same kind of idea. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who died did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If he gave us his son the most precious part of his heart and of his being. He gave us himself in reality. Surely he will give you all other things because he's given you the most valuable. All the rest is not as valuable as that. Surely the rest is coming. This is the gospel. Who will bring any change, a charge against those whom God has chosen? And when we're in trouble, friends, and when we're in trouble, we think God's against us. God's not against you. God's for you. Jesus made it so. We've just got to live like it was so. Am I not? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies, not ourselves. If we try to justify ourselves, we're getting off the bed, we're getting off the chair, getting away from the table and getting away from the lamp and trying to do it on our own. We're going to end up in a bad place. You've probably got a 5% victory, maybe you'll get there by 5%. Maybe. With God, you've got 100% guarantee. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. How powerful is this? Who can bring a charge? Who can condemn? God justifies you. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword or the armies of another nation or the racism in this country or the prejudice in all of our hearts? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? or the racist attacks that people have over us and whatever stupid things people say. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, we're able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is what is for us, friends. Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Those that are with us are more numerous than those that are with them. And the reason why we can have Elisha's posture with confidence and boldness is because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. And because of Jesus, we enter the Elisha moment in all of our lives, every single one of us, nobody excluded, to be able to live that life in victory, with hope, with joy, with peace. That's our lot. What you see, how do you see, what do you see? Are you seeing what God is doing in your life? Are you seeing what God is saying? Are you hearing what God is saying? Because if we're not, we're going to get fearful and we're going to shrink back. And Elisha teaches us that we don't have to be like that. The Bible says this, that the least in the kingdom of God is greater than every saint before John the Baptist. So the least person, the most insignificant person in the kingdom of God is greater than Elisha. I want to encourage you this morning. Let's see with eyes of faith. Let's allow God to open our eyes to see what he's doing. Let's ask God, God, what are you doing? I want to see, Lord. Help me to see. That's my prayer. Lord, open our eyes. Father, open our eyes that me, we might see what you are doing. That the victory can be ours. Bloodless. A feast. A bloodless feast. Rather than violent slaughter of enemies. Is what's before us. It's counterintuitive. It gives us hope. It brings us courage. In Jesus' name. Amen.